Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host, and this is a show about stories, interviews, profiles of courage, triumph, and perseverance. And I would normally introduce my beloved wife, my co-host with the mostest, but unfortunately, she is not with me today. She's at home taking care of the kiddos. We had a kid wake up this morning that was not feeling 100%. And obviously, given this environment, like you imagine all kinds of things that happen and mama took over and she's just going to make sure he's all right today. And so you're with me today as I interview Desiree Vargas. Now, the name may not be immediately familiar to you, but you're going to love her story of perseverance, triumph and courage. Um, She has been somebody that has gone through the fire and come out the other side. When you hear about some of the adversity that she's faced, but in spite of that, her faith prevails, and um, she is thriving today. And so I'm excited to get her on the line and uh, share some time with her and ask her about her life and what she's overcome, and I think that you're going to enjoy it too. So I'm going to get her on the line, and we're going to get right into this interview. All right, so I've got Desiree Vargas on the line with me. So excited to talk with her. And uh, on the business side, her Instagram is mindbodysoulDes, so you can find her there. But I caught her when I was uh, searching through Stories of Hope, and um, I read a post that she had posted, and uh, literally, I just felt like she's my soul sister to some degree, because some of what she went through, I went through as a kid. And uh, I can't wait to talk with her. So welcome to the show, Desiree. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm just so thrilled to be here and just honored and, and it's so nice to meet everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, it's it's awesome that you're on and hey, we're all sheltering at home. We're all uh, social distancing, but you know, it's not social avoidance, it's just social distancing. Exactly. So I figure we can talk to anybody on the phone, right? Exactly. I love it. Let's do it. Well, I think that, uh, you know, I was captivated, quite honestly, with some of what you had shared for a couple of reasons. Number one, I just felt like you have overcome a lot listing some of the things that you'd been through. But secondary to that, some of the things that you had uh, gone through, uh, I had had in my life as well. So I think that that made for a connection. So uh, where I'd like to start is like your, your story is one of survival. And so maybe you can share just a little bit about some of the stuff you've been through at this stage in your life. And then we'll talk about how you maybe got to that plate. How do you overcome? come in the face of that adversity. And then we'll talk about some of the work that you're doing with others now. How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, I'd love to start there and, and just share. Um, and, and, you know, as I, as I start sharing, I just, I'm sure a lot of people will be listening and, and resonating and maybe shaking their head and saying, I've been through that too. But um, it started, I think, which is unfortunately very common these days is uh, being a child of divorce, only child of my, my mother and my father. So started, uh, they got divorced about when I was five or six or so. So, you know, that went back and forth between the two homes. And that was a challenge, you know, obviously dealing with going back and forth. My mom, you know, became a single mom. And there are definitely points in our lives where, where we struggled. I I shared the story of, of how my mom would allow me to eat Pop Ramen, which was my favorite as a kid, you know. But yeah. I didn't realize that. <laughs> I didn't realize that we were eating Top Ramen because that's really all we could afford, you know, but my, my mother and even my father, you know, they both did a really great job at just 
providing with the best, you know, with the tools that they had at that time. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, when, like so, when you were a kid, you don't like five, six, seven years old, like you don't know where your social status is. Like you, like you're not even aware that some kids have a lot more than you do and some don't or what well, I'm like, you just live in life, mm-hmm. right? Like I love Top Ramen right. too. I think my oldest is still a big <laughs> fan of Top Ramen, but uh, you know, I get it. I had a bit of a bouncing back and forth, never without my mom, but my parents were divorced and uh, went through a lot of, of stuff when I was younger. And so I, I do think that's challenging. And I had a guy on yesterday uh, or day before that talked about uh, going through a divorce as a young kid. And then he was split between the two homes and it allowed him a mm-hmm. lot more time and freedom to develop some not so great habits. In other words, it led to a drug addiction for him because he could say, I was, well, I was at dad's house or I was at mom's house or because the two parents weren't speaking to each other at all. So I think, you know, a broken household, you know, is a challenging thing to go through as a child. And so your parents divorced at five. Yeah. Early on, um, my, my dad did get remarried and so did my mother. And unfortunately, uh, you know, families recreate habits or behaviors. And so my mother um, ended up marrying not a very good person. So my stepfather was verbally and emotionally abusive to myself and also to my mother. And, um, and that was for years, I believe he came into my life as a young teen, about uh, maybe 12 years old or so. And he was in my life all the way until about uh, 23. So, you know, that was a, a good period of time of, of a formative period of time. Of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think a, um, a lot of people, and when I say people as in friends and family for many years had no clue. And some people maybe did have a clue, but didn't know really how to help. I went through something similar as a child. The first 10 years of my life, I lived with a stepfather and initially I had grown to understand him as my father, my biological father, but my mom shared with me when I was about seven that he was not my biological father, that my biological father lived in California and that he was definitely interested in getting to know me, but she didn't, she didn't want to pull me between two dads and and get in that situation. And so she was just waiting for the right time, I think. But my stepfather was never physically abusive, but was verbally abusive and said Mm -hmm. just horrible stuff to me and stuff that still to this day is part of my life or has an effect on me. I think it's part of the reason that I was I was as driven as I was. He would say to me that I would never mm-hmm. amount to anything. I was never going to be successful. Sure. I was never going to be, you know, and, and words matter, you know, like they, they just matter. They're powerful. And so sometimes um, I think people uh, don't realize how much damage can be done with just words. Like mm-hmm. someone doesn't have to beat you over the head with a bat or something like that, but it can be every bit as damaging, if not more damaging. Absolutely. And I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of dive a little bit into it and in, in, in my background in mental health and kind of why I'm so passionate about what I do is because I'm, I'm very aware that um, not all, but most of the things, you know, that, that we deal with, like codependency or addictions and things like that, really stem from childhood and what is referred to as generational trauma and just taking those habits one generation after another and repeating the cycle. And unfortunately, my stepfather was, you know, in that pattern. My mom, my stepmother was in that pattern. And, and what do they both do? They repeated it. And, and that kind of leads on to my story even more as I repeated that pattern again. And I ended up marrying somebody who was emotionally and verbally abusive. So definitely is a pattern that, you know, if, if we're not cautious, 
And, and there's nothing wrong with it. We're not bad people by any means because I, I lived I lived that life for many years. We just we end up going with what we're, we what we know and and that chaos that we're used to, and we just take it to the next the next stage and we, we repeat it. Yeah, I, I, I do understand that. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I myself also wanted to be a chain breaker. You know, I just I, I didn't want mm-hmm. to have the cycle continue with me. And so in several different ways, I, I think I've endeavored to become a chain breaker for my boys so that they're not as likely to repeat the cycle as uh, oh, yeah. As maybe they would have been. For example, uh, about 10 years ago, I completely stopped drinking. I felt like I was becoming an alcoholic. My dad had been an alcoholic. I grew up watching him drink. I watched him come home every day, have a few beers, and then he would graduate to something a little harder. And I mean, he was my biological father. He was never verbally abusive. He was never physically abusive. You know, he was kind of one of these happy-go-lucky kind of drunks, you know, when he would drink. And, you know, it's still one of those things that as an adult, I just felt myself kind of slipping that direction. And so I just completely got rid of it in uh, 2009. And so my oldest would have been 13 at that time. So I, I just wanted to make sure they didn't, you know, repeat the cycle that I was not somehow influencing their behavior, leading by example, and then ultimately seeing them become alcoholics at some point in their life. So I, I, I hear you. I see what you're what you're mm-hmm. throwing down. And I've been there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's like just the journey of life, right? Of like, I always, I usually say, I was actually having this conversation with, with somebody on, on my Instagram about how I am a recovering codependent. Um, I had a lot of behaviors where I wanted to please other people. And my ex-husband was one of those people that I had those behaviors with. And so, you know, you just, you, as you develop and grow now here looking back, that's why I use the term recovering codependent. So I still catch myself at times. You know, it's always a healing journey. Um, you'll have good days. You'll have bad days. But there's a lot of tools and things that we can utilize that, that help us. You know, it doesn't just happen snap of the fingers or, or overnight by any means. No, not at all. And, and you know, I'm in recovery, too. I'm a recovering narcissist. It used to be always about me. Now I'm trying to make it not about me. Mm-hmm. So people always laugh. You're recovering what? I said, I'm a recovering narcissist. <laughs> it's no longer about me. <laughs> right, right. When you were 12, 13 years old, you have a stepfather. He's verbally and emotionally abusive. How did you weather that? You know, because like, honestly, I worry about that right now. Like in this current environment where everyone's being forced to stay home. I know that for some kids, school was a refuge. It was a safe place. Mm -hmm. You know, home was even worse than, than school. So like they looked forward to it. It was peace. It was some, it was the bright light of their day. And I worry that, you know, in some of those families now, I can just only imagine how volatile it could be in this current environment. Somebody's, you know, working less or maybe not working at all and tends towards being abusive. And then now we've got all the kids and everybody home. And how did you weather that? Um, it was it was definitely tough, and I always say this in person. I say this on in, on interviews, and I always share what really I think I what I know got me through that is my mom did a really good job of well, my family in general is faith based, what society would call a Christian family, and so my mother raised me in the church and had me a part of that, and so that was a part of me at a very young age, junior high and high school, and so I always had that, and I don't. I know if I didn't have that, those small group leaders or those uh, people in the church that were there, my friends, and the community that I grew up in, which was really neat, I thought, is 
the church that I went to did a really great job of all my friends at school went to church because it was cool. The non, even if they were not even Christian, it was like, it was just the thing to do in my community. I had friends that were not Christian that were other faiths or you know, their parents just knew it was a positive environment to, to go on a Wednesday night. And so I think that was a very big part of me. And, and I credit to this day as an adult in having my faith and having that that I can turn to because there were definitely some times where it was rough and very similar stories to what you shared is, you know, you're not good enough. You'll never be, um, you can't do anything without your mother. Lots of, you know, instances, those are just words, but especially even, even as an 18 year old, I experienced um, an injury in a family vacation and he denied me medical help. And to this day, I have an injury to my ankle and it will, it will flare up because of the injury. It will never properly healed. And that's something that I, you know, I'm close, almost 40 years old. This is something I got when I was 18. And so it triggers that part of me every time it, maybe the weather gets a little colder or, you know, I do yoga, I, I dance and and stay active. And so it, it happens quite often where I'm, I, I don't have a flare-up. So I also have to be, you know, use the tools in my tool chest to, when that gets activated in my life again, and the things that I have to do. And, and, and I, it makes me think back of what I endured. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. I, I don't have any physical scars that stay with me, but, you know, I think the emotional ones, they cut deep too. And so I think that, mm -hmm. you know, just the reality of it is, is that you will have reminders, whether they're physical, whether they're emotional, you know, you will mm -hmm. have reminders. But I think it also can be a, a huge testament to what you've overcome. You survived, you know, you came out of that. Ultimately, that was not where you stayed. And I think that that's something that you've got to, in that same moment, when you're reminded of what you went through and what he denied you, also think about where you are now. I think that's the awesome point. You know, like, look what I've overcome. Even though that happened, oh, I'm still at this point in my life thriving. And that's the best revenge, I think, winning, you know, being happy and thriving despite what people said, trying to bring you down. And that's what I remember, too, myself, is that hurt people hurt people, you know? And mm -hmm. so, like, I do have some empathy that more than likely my stepfather's young childhood, I don't know a lot about it, but I don't think it was a great one. And he sure. was obviously hurt. And so, you know, I do have empathy for what he might have endured that made him the product that I experienced in life. And as a result of that, I, I rely on my faith too. I think God got me through. I think with his grace, mm -hmm. you know, my biological father came out and picked us up. When I was 10, uh, my mom got divorced from him and reconnected with my dad and he came out, he wanted to be a part of my life. And so he came out from California, picked us up and then I never saw my stepfather again. Just all of a sudden things can, can change. And I think God rescued me and her from that situation. Mm -hmm. And she has emotional scars because he used to say the same stuff to her sure. and if not worse, you know, so. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, just to, to add on to that, what was a big factor of the healing as I got older is forgiveness whether or not he asked for it or not. And it's probably going to be one of the hardest things that we do in our lives. And it's not something that if one wanted done, I always like to convey that to my clients, to the people that I share with is forgiveness is constant. It's over and over. There'll be some days where it'll be very easy to forgive him, to send him well wishes, to pray over him. And there'll be some days I can't do it and yeah. that's okay. But I, it's a practice of forgiveness because if I, 
if I, if I continue to hold that in, it's only going to, you know, act as, as poison to me. And, um, and I'm, I'm done with that phase of my life. Yeah. Um, I'm way moving on and, 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 and on to bigger and better things. And, and that is definitely just part of the journey. Like I said, if I notice that I'm having behaviors or things that are connected to what I endured with him, I know I have to go back to for forgiveness. That's so good. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, forgiveness is for us. You do it to heal yourself. It has really nothing mm-hmm. to do with somebody else. It, it's not like you're giving them something. You're giving yourself something. Absolutely. Now, you were thrown another huge significant curveball because, you you know, you said your mom was there with you. She was always there to... Um, to uh, I guess, support you emotionally, mentally, because I, I think some of what she was dealing with was the same. It was like my mom. She was verbally abused in the process. And so tell us a little bit more about the next double whammy that you got in life. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, I was uh, primarily living with my mom all, all my life and when my parents divorced. And my parents had me very young. They got married young. So my mom had me when she was, I think, a month or a few weeks before her 19th birthday. So we were not very far apart in age, you know, 19 years apart. And I believe I was, it was 2004, so I was 23 years old. And it was a, just a, a normal day. There was nothing abnormal about it. I actually spent the day with my mother. And we had plans to go to dinner that evening with my, my mother's boyfriend. She did end up leaving my stepfather. And so um, I felt ill that evening. And I just went and rested and stayed home. And they went to dinner right down the street if anybody's grown up in southern california we lived in irvine at the time very safe neighborhood and unfortunately they um they never came home and they were hit by a two-time offender um underage drunk driver and, and they were um killed so not only did i lose you know my mother um but my mother's boyfriend also his life was taken and he was a father to a beautiful 11 uh, year old little girl so the, the loss was traumatic is, is the best word I can even find. And uh, going through that loss was enough. And then to go through a three-year uh, murder trial in a sense, because the underage drunk driver, but not guilty. So it was definitely a crazy, crazy, hard, hard, difficult time in my life. I can't even imagine what that must have been like. And I can't imagine what it must have been like to endure without faith. I'm just glad that you had your faith at the time. I'm sure that, you know, that's probably one of the few things that uh, was able to get you through it. But I, I just can't imagine. I mean, not only losing your parent, but to lose your parent in such a senseless way, then to have to endure three years. It was a three year legal proceeding to ultimately determine that this particular person was at fault. Yeah. And that part was just so mind boggling to me because clearly my mother is not here. Yeah, um, you're definitely guilty. Second time, you know, um, 19 years old. It wasn't his first. It was his second. Doesn't make it any, you know, better if it was first or second or third or whatever. But unfortunately, I got to be part of the judicial, and it's not fun. And uh, luckily, I had some support. I got right away connected to Mothers Against Drunk Driving, um, which is a well-known nonprofit, and they provided me um, a victim advocate to come to court with me because my family was not local. They were in a different part. And, and when you have a three-year court trial, you're constantly, you know, going back and forth. And, and for many years, you, you can go to court and then they say, oh, you know, no, we're not having court anymore. 
So it's back and forth of so many years of that. And, and this young man did have the means to have two attorneys. And, and so I think that's part of the reason why I just dragged on so long. He had the, you know, the means and the capability to provide himself with, with a legal team. But it was pretty complicated. Um, he, his grandfather got involved and tried to say that he was the driver until they found out two people were killed. So it was pretty chaotic. It was, it was a really crazy time, like as I mentioned. And, and a lot of it, to be honest, I, I don't remember really as well because that was such a traumatic time in my life. Maybe it's a it's it's a case of trying to repress it to some degree, just because it's not something mm-hmm. that is at all positive to try to remember. Do you do you remember what got you through it? Like, do you remember, you know, that there had to have been some really hard days, and so how did you weather those days? Because I think that there's some people out there listening right now that mm-hmm. may be going through some of those hard days, and so like, how how did you endure that? How did you get through it? When it all happened that day, um, I knew I knew three things. I didn't. I couldn't think of anything else, and I just these three things came to mind from from day one, and I think that's what carried me through. Is I needed to get right with God again. As I mentioned, I was I was raised um, a believer, and, but I wasn't living a life. I was you know young in my 22, 23, so I, I wanted to establish that relationship again. That was the first thing. Second thing is I needed help. I needed professional help. I needed a therapist. And I got referred the most amazing therapist who actually was a Christian therapist. So she was there on my same beliefs. And I ended up seeing her for 10 years. So that was just amazing. And having her support and getting those tools from her and what she gave me, um, life-changing, life-saving, really. And the third thing was I I needed help in the realm, as I mentioned. Um, I just remember hearing about Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And they supported me during the whole Phase. And so support, I think that's what you keep hearing is the form of support through my, my faith and the people around me, through my therapist, through MAD. Um, I did have some support at that time. And, and unfortunately, I was in my, my, my marriage, as I mentioned, that was abusive. But um, this was proceeding, you know, this was kind of happening all before that, that took place. I wish I can pinpoint and say like this one specific thing, but I really look back to the way my mother raised me. My mom told me three things my entire life. She told me that she loved me, that I was just loved, that I was just a loved person, that she loved me. Um, she told me that I was beautiful all the time. I mean, this is something I heard for 23 years, since a little girl to an adult, that I was beautiful and that I was capable of doing anything that I wanted. Anything that I wanted to put my mind to, I could do. And when you tell a child that for 23 years, they believe it. They believe it wholeheartedly. <laughs> yes. More than I think that's one of the best things that we can do for not just our children, but for our nieces, our best friends' kids, our you know the children around us, not just our own generation. And constantly, when you see if you're if we are around other children and just encouraging them and being that support because they need that. I know I'm a grown woman and I still want to hear that. Yeah. So I think that is so important, and that that is just instilled something in me that my husband jokes to this day, you know, obviously he would, he, my husband's amazing. (laughs) I shout out to my husband. So he's amazing. He would never obviously tell me anything negative, but he always jokes. If I told you that you couldn't do that, or if I told you that you weren't pretty, he goes, you would not even believe me. (laughs) He goes, that's how like you, you're, you know, your mom just instilled this, these great values and thoughts (laughs) in your head. He's like, you don't even believe me if anybody, not just me, tells you something negative because you truly agree that, well, 
I'm capable. It's, it, I'm okay. I'm not everyone's. I'm okay that I'm not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. You know, um, of course, I, I I am very nice, and I I think I'm awesome, but I also know that I'm not everyone's cup of tea. But those are those values that she and she gave me. I think were vital in in survival for me. Positive words, encouraging words, lasting words, stuff that you can you can rest on. I, I think that was the greatest gift that she gave you was those positive words. Words do matter. They matter so much. And what you say to people, you can use words to lift them up or you can use words to tear them down. And so I'm glad she had such a positive force and will that she put that on you for all of those years. You know, going back to what you said, I I just felt like there were several things that resonated to me. You know, you talked about, uh, number one, getting right with God, like you were, as a young child, brought into the church. But I think that we all go through periods of time where sometimes that is is not how you're living life. I called it, you know, back in 2007, 2008, 2009, I, I say I was a Christian atheist. And people go like, what do, you, what do you mean? I said, well, I was a Christian. I believed in God. But nothing about my life at that time was really honoring him. It was not living in yeah. a godly way. It was not, you know, like I just... I think sometimes you just drift. Sometimes you don't even realize how far you've drifted until life brings you to a moment like we're all having right now where you can self-reflect and look back and kind of take stock of where you are and where you wanted to be and are you even close, you know, that kind of a thing. And then I started going through counseling. Both Jen and I went through uh, couples counseling initially and then I I took on counseling by myself and I did it for almost eight years. So I think that, I think you're right. Like I, I will sing the praises of counseling like for the rest of my mm-hmm. life. I think people think that there's a negative stigma that goes along with it. I didn't find that to be the case. I felt like I was given a set of tools, a better understanding of myself, you know, a better understanding of why I make decisions or where those decisions came from so that I can address that and maybe not make those same decisions in the future. And so like, I, I cannot speak highly enough about what counseling does to equip you to deal with life and the challenges that you're thrown more so than uh, people that haven't been through it. I couldn't agree more. And I was so greatly impacted by therapy and my therapist. It was, she was part of the reason why I decided to be a therapist myself. Um, I I was the first person in my family to even go to college. I, I never thought I would even go to graduate school. Um, you know, seven years later, after the fact, um, my ex-husband was not supportive of, of me, of course, furthering myself. Um, so it was after that I um, had left that that marriage is when I decided to finally pursue that dream. And and like I said, I credit that amazing woman um, that guided me. Just I had such a positive experience. And then to go bounce back to you know present day, what I'm finding and seeing is a lot of people are really open right now at this time to do therapy because we're doing teletherapy now and people could do therapy in the comfort of their home, the safety of their home, um, not just because of what's going on right now, but also just in general, emotionally, somebody may not be ready to step into a therapy room, but if they can connect with someone, you know, online or on the telephone, Um, And I love this. As the years go by, people are more and more open to the idea of therapy, that it's not anything that's wrong with us or somebody fixing us. It's not advice. It is just it's one form of healing. There are many forms of healing and talk therapy. Um, it's just one one way of healing, and it's I of course I'm an advocate of it. You're an advocate of it, and you know anybody that's that's listening, um, you know I definitely want to encourage you if you haven't explored that avenue. You know, 
connect with someone, um, I know my information will be left. I'm, I'm always referring out and guiding people because I know sometimes it's not the easiest thing to reach out and do for some. Yes, this is true. And, and uh, yeah, we will make your information abundantly available um, in our post on the Instagram. Hope Radio Podcast is our Instagram on Facebook, Hope Radio Podcast. And then um, obviously during the the show that we're doing right now, we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more about that. But before we get there, you know, you so you lost your mother when you were 24? 20, uh, 23. It was, it was technically, um, unfortunately a week before my 24th birthday. Well, that is, that is horrible. And I'm, I'm so sorry that you went through that. And then you Thank find, you. Yeah, you're welcome. And, and well, I did, I've lost a parent. I lost my father in 2015, not through circumstances mm-hmm. like your own, but it, it doesn't matter when they're gone, they're gone and, and you miss them yeah. and you don't have them and you would like to talk to him again. And so like, I, I have sympathy for you and empathy for you there, but I want to, I want to talk about your first marriage because you found yourself in a situation uh, very similar to the same situation your mom went through. And that was, you know, living with and being with somebody that was um, abusive to you. So tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, it was, it was somebody that I had met right out of high school, you know, really young, 18 years old, um, right in my first year of college, and um, I, I never really, I, I dated, not really in high school. I mean, it wasn't really encouraged anyway <laughs> for my mother to be dating. So it was kind of my first relationship, and, and it wasn't ever to a good start. It was always felt like I was chasing him or trying to have him pay attention to me. So that's where it kind of, you know, started. And it went for years off and on from 18 to about 23. And right before my mother passed, we were, we were together. Like I said, we we're off and on. So we were together and, um, you know, my mom passed away and within a matter of weeks, he proposed and, you know, we were young and I maybe felt that that was the, the fix. I think that was a red flag, you know, of, of what was happening. But I, I did end up getting married at, at 25, which to me, I think is, is very young and too young. I, I always thought I wouldn't get married till at least 30 or so. So I think it started off really slowly as in slowly as the, as the control started very slowly and then more things started to be controlled. And it, I will say looking back now, it may have started with good intentions, but it didn't end up that way. So because I was not able to do a lot of parts of my life because I was distraught, I was traumatized. I, like as I mentioned, I didn't, I don't remember the period of that time I was going through um, the court trial. I took about a year off from work. I was, a, I was a full-time college student at the time trying to complete my last year of college. Um, so I just, I had a lot going on and I think what maybe started as something helpful that he thought he would, uh, you know, help with this and help with that. But I never gained that back. It, it was nothing he ever gained back to me. It got to the point of, um, weird things. And I think people maybe who can relate is I just, I wasn't allowed to go to Target. No particular reason. He just didn't want me going to Target. Didn't see my family or friends very often. That was very controlled. Even to, I was an art major. I was an art student. So I had tons of artwork. Couldn't hang up any of my art in our own home that we own, that I own, that, you know, we own together. So very controlling behaviors, even to the food I ate, to when I was allowed to go out, you know, it, it, again, it just got more and more controlling and I ended up being in that relationship for a good amount of years. I think it wasn't until 
I turned 30, because I think that's such a pivotal age, you know, anytime yeah. you're 30 or 40, you start to reevaluate your life and think about where you're at. And I think that's when I was starting to get the courage to leave. And I was still in therapy, you know, with my amazing therapist. And it was my therapist that actually helped me put together a safety plan. So it was something that was planned for probably over a month or two with her knowing so that I would be safe. Um, and we're talking about the day I left. I left with um, a suitcase and a paycheck to my name. That's it. I had somebody, I did it in a therapy session. So it was safe. I had a friend in the parking lot. So everything was really was done through the help of my therapist. And so if, you know, people are listening, there are definitely ways that, you know, we can get help. And, and if I didn't have my therapist helping me along the way, don't know if I would have the courage to, to do it because I was, I was scared. Yeah. Even though I wasn't being physically abused, I was still very, very scared. You're scared of the unknown. You're scared of what's going to happen. Even though it hadn't been physical, you, I'm sure you probably were thinking it could become physical, especially if the stressors mm -hmm. are significant enough. And so, like, you, you hear stories all the time. I mean, I think domestic abuse and physical abuse is... You, you know, is horrific and it's in it and people die and, you know, bad things can happen. And so I can imagine that it must have been very, very difficult for you to ultimately make the decision, but then plan it out and then ultimately act upon it. That had to have been a lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety. So did you turn to your faith at that time as well to get you through? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and my friends were just such a great support. The day that I actually, you know, had to move, I had my, my two best friends there with me. And I mean, literally, we, we had garbage bags. We were just trying to get me out as quick as possible. I, I hired a moving company and I had my me and my two best friends. And we were just my whole life in a matter of two hours, you know, as fast as we could to, to get out of there. But definitely look, look towards my faith always. And my, my friends and family really, really stepped up and supported me. I, I didn't have a place to go and I had a friend offer me um, to stay with her. So I just, I wouldn't have got through that without the support that I had. Yeah. I can't, I can't say enough about uh, support, you know, having the right people alongside you to help guide you and, and take care of you in those times. And so now fast forward to today, you, you are remarried, you're in a loving relationship. He supports you. So um, tell us a little bit about your husband. When did you meet him? How long yeah. have you guys been married? Yeah, he's amazing. We actually met when I was in my early 20s. So, you know, back when we were in our club days. <laughs> um, so I can't really joke and say I met my husband in a nightclub. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, which which I always share this funny joke when we were doing our premarital counseling um, through our church. Uh, most of the couples were very young and sweet and not saying we're not young and sweet, but, you know, we were a little older and the pastor's asking everybody how they, the story of they met. And everyone's story is very cute, you know. And my husband, before I can even say anything, he goes, well, she was a go-go dancer in a club. And, and I was just one of those drunk guys <laughs> in the club. <laughs> uh, I was that like, is oh, priceless. my God, babe, you, you just told the truth. Okay. <laughs> but that's how we initially met and just through, you know, social media stayed connected and stuff and um, got re We actually went on three dates when I was, uh, I think I was about 22 and didn't call him back. So, um, does, does he hold he that over your head me. now? Yeah, he does. He teases me. <laughs> you, he you, goes, you know how many years we could have been married? <laughs> 
Yeah, and you're you're like, yeah. I in retrospect, I would have loved that. Yeah, I I should I should have I should have <laughs> called you back. The call back that could have changed your life, you know. Seriously, seriously. But you know, everything obviously happened the way it happened, and so we reconnected um, all those all those years later. And there was always something really special about him, even when you know I was 23 years old. I just you know it was a crush back then, but it was so. I just remember that feeling of just being so like, oh, this, this, this guy, you know, and just years later, just having that, that reconnection was, um, just so special. Oh, that's, that's, I love those stories. Now, do you guys have any kids? No kids. We have three fur babies. So those are, those are our family. Those are our kiddos. And, um, and yeah, we just love our little family here. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, you know, I I, w- I can honestly say you you sound so happy, you sound healthy, you sound like you're thriving. So as you as you look back, sometimes when you talk about your life and you kind of take stock of what you've been through, did you ever think at some of those worst times? I mean, literally thinking back through, you know, your parents got divorced when you were five. You know, you had a verbally abusive stepfather. You're Mom is tragically killed in a car accident. You have a verbally abusive and controlling husband. I mean, did you ever think that your life would be what it is today, that you'd be thriving, that you'd be so happy and healthy? It's a double answer. It's, it's like, no, I wouldn't have thought. But at the same time, it's yes, because I always knew I was destined for something great because of what my mom instilled in me. I, I, didn't, I wouldn't picture this. But I always knew that I would be something, you know, and I had this as a little girl and, and this may sound kooky to some people. It may sound, it may resonate with it. But as a young girl, I thought that I would be famous. I thought maybe I'd be like a pop star or something. You know, I, I was a dancer. I liked to sing. I was kind of a, a, an entertaining kid. I just loved the arts. And my idea is that God was setting this idea in my head and, and he had to translate it as a child to what I could understand. And so I had this idea that I'd be famous or a pop star, right? And then as I got older, I forgot about that dream. And then as I got older, that dream didn't, you know, happen. And here we are years later, and the visions are coming back that I feel like like the Lord set that gave me. And those visions are not me being a pop star, although I'm a wannabe pop star. <laughs> um, but the visions, <laughs> the visions now are of me speaking and doing the things that I'm doing and speaking in crowds. I've taught yoga at yoga festivals with thousands of people um, and um, I'm speaking more and I, you know, see myself writing a book. And so I think those were definitely those visions that God had gave me back then. I had to understand them as a child. And so to kind of, you know, answer that question very long is I knew I was destined for something great. And I really feel like I'm just starting to really live the life that I'm truly meant to live. And, and thrive. That's awesome. I love that. Well said. And I, I get what you're saying. I think that God puts promises in your heart and you may interpret it as meaning one thing or being one thing. And the reality of it is, is it, it's, you know, his, his plans are so different than ours. You know, it's like you're busy making plans while God's laughing, you know, like, like, no, but right. you think it's going to be this, but, but it's always more beautiful. It's always better. It's always not what you quite expected, but somehow better than you expected. So, you know, I, I get what you're saying. And I love that. I love that you have that promise and that faith in your heart where you feel like right now you're living out that dream that you had as a little girl. Thank you. Yeah. It, it excites me. Cause I just, 
feel like it's happening. I'm really just been going through the healing and I still have more healing to do, but I'm in a, you know, a great place. And, and I know that there's ups and downs and it's, you people always look at me a lot. I'm very positive and very, the cup is half full kind of person, but I always remind people what I've been through, that it is, it's something that I have done, that I have practiced, that I've retrained my brain. You know, it's not something that just happens. It's, it's, it's a lot of work, uh, a lot of work that was done to get me here. Yes. Yeah. And I, I do know that. It takes a lot of work to, uh, to just get stability and then to, to get growth and to get thriving, you know, moving forward in the, in the future. It, it, it does take a lot of work, but it's worthwhile to go through the process. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your biz. So on Instagram, it's mind, body, soul, Des, D-E-Z. That's how people find you on Instagram. So tell us a little bit about what you do for folks. Sure. Yeah. So through, you know, my, my journey that you've all been a part of right now and, and, and heard, when I went back to grad school, I would see some of my amazing clients and think, you know, they're doing great. They're doing really great. But what are they doing when they go home? You know, what are they eating? Are they exercising? Talk therapy is going great, but what else? And so that I was already thinking about the, the, I was already thinking about the mind connection, but I wanted to think about the body and the soul connection. And so that is what inspired me to create mind, body, soul living. Um, and initially started as me, um, taking the coaching perspective, life coaching and integrating, you know, mind, body, soul. Um, and I am a non-practicing marriage and family therapist, but I, I did decide this year and in the very next few weeks, um, I'm going to be opening up my therapy private practice here and, and offering teletherapy as I, as I mentioned in this, you know, in this time of what we're going through. Um, so offering coaching, offering soon to be, um, therapy. Um, I do one-on-one coaching. I do, I'm going to start doing group coaching. Um, I, I'm very much into, integrating holistic holistic mindset holistic everything and getting people to come back to the root cause of whatever is happening I mentioned that I'm very passionate about generational healing um, that's it all traces back to you know, like I mentioned childhood and then our patterns of our um, you know our parents and grandparents and it's not placing blame it's just healing all those years of you know generations before us and so that's really my approach to, to overall wellness is just healing those pieces and parts of us. And, and, and it's also, you know, the yoga, it could be essential oils, it could be therapy, um, it could be all of that. So, so yeah, as I mentioned, I'm, I also offer yoga too. I'm a yoga teacher. I just went all down that way of holistic healing and been educating myself on that. So I just kind of combined everything and and offer, offer I th- that. I think that's fantastic. And that, do you have a website? Yes, I do. It is mindbodysoulliving.com. Mindbodysoulliving.com. And then uh, that people can find you there, connect with you there in case they want a session, in case they want to learn more about essential oils or yoga or yeah. eating or whatever, like the whole holistic <laughs> exactly. approach. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Instagram, my website, um, I just launched. Um, I really want to encourage people um, all the time, not just during this time to move their body. So I just launched a yoga membership site where people could um, access videos 
um, live videos, different types of videos for breath work, meditation, movement, yoga, all that different kind of stuff. And, you know, just giving people some more, more tools that they can have during this time. That's awesome. I love it. You're doing great things. And so as we close out the, uh, the show, I have a, I have a question for you. So I want you to put yourself in the position of being, a therapist now, I want you to specifically think of somebody that's out there in the listening audience that we have that may be feeling anxious, that may be feeling unsettled, that feels, you know, like a lack of control because we all kind of feel like that. What's going to happen next? And, you know, how would you speak to that person? What could you say to them right now to help them get through some of the anxiety, some of the worry, some of the fear that maybe they have surrounding our whole pandemic. Yeah, that is, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to speak to someone. Um, and if you're listening, I want to share the same message with you that my mother shared with me. I just I need you to know how loved you are. I need you to feel. I need you to see. I need you to know how just beautiful you are as a person um, from the inside and the outside that you are capable and able to do anything that you set your mind to, that you have the ability to cope. You absolutely have the ability to cope and creating just something small for yourself that not to overwhelm you, but create some type of structure where it's perhaps waking up every day at the same time and bringing in a practice of meditation, prayer, or gratitude, or all those combined. Um, Having just a routine, I think, will provide and help with that uncertainty because you can control your routine. You can control waking up in the morning, taking that shower, getting that meditation, that prayer time, um, connecting with at least two people every day, whether it's phone calls, FaceTime, get that support, get connected with somebody, keep on that routine. And of course, movement and, and feeding your body right. Um, you have the opportunity to be in your home and hopefully, you know, have some resources of different foods that you maybe wouldn't try before or now that you have the time to try, um, whether it's just accessing some YouTube videos, you know, for that cooking or for that movement. Um, so I would definitely just give you that message as I, as that message of hope, getting you on that routine, that consistency, and just knowing that you have the ability to cope. So awesome, Desiree. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for being transparent, authentic, honest, candid. You know, your story, I think, is going to resonate well with people, certainly people that have um, shared experiences like you and I. And I think for people that right now are feeling a bit anxious or overwhelmed, I think that they can take hope and see a light. Looking at what you've been through in your life and now thriving, I think people can have hope that even if this is a challenging time for them, that they can come out of it on the backside and ultimately thrive in the future. And uh, that that's what I think that they need to remember. But I think you're going to help us remember that with your story. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and being part of our show. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Well, that was certainly an incredible interview with Desiree Vargas. I cannot believe her optimism in the face of the adversity that she dealt with in her life, her faith that got her through, an abusive stepfather, an abusive husband, losing her mom to a two-time underage drunk driver, and then still thriving on the backside of that. That's just incredible. So hopefully you received her message that life can be incredible post 
trauma, post challenges, post adversity. And it, and it reminds me of a quote from Nelson Mandela that I'm going to leave you with. I am fundamentally an optimist. Whether that comes from nature or nurture, I cannot say. Part of being optimistic is keeping one's head pointed toward the sun and one's feet moving forward.